Good job, Royce. All right, so we are, we're starting a new series in Ephesians, and you think one verse, this will be a really short sermon. You'd be very wrong. Uh, This is uh, something I've been really excited about for a long time. The book of Ephesians uh, is probably one of the most glorious books in all of the Bible. Uh, It's one of those books in the Bible where you could spend a whole bunch of time in. And as a preacher, you have two choices to make. You, like, you, you want to just like kind of look at the Rocky Mountains as you're driving by, or you want to try to hike every trail of the Rocky Mountains. And uh, I'm not the drive-by type. We're going to hike every trail uh, in this book, and I'm super excited about it. Uh, my goal and my heart is, is that you would be as filled up with joy as we read this book as I am when I read it. I think we're supposed to read this book like my daughter lives her life. Uh, one of the things everybody loves about Blakely when they see her is how expressive she is and her favorite thing to say. In fact, it might be her only word besides mom is wow. She just says wow about everything. We went to, uh, to New York, uh, what was it two weeks ago? I don't know. We're traveling so much here recently. I'm glad to be home, but we were in New York like two weeks ago. And when she saw the statue of Liberty, I thought she was broke. I mean, it was just wow, 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 wow. <laughs> But you know what I love about her is then we went to a restaurant and the the restaurant owner gave her a little tiny pink cup and she was looking at the cup just like the Statue of Liberty. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) I thought, man, wouldn't life be so much better if we all lived that way? Just a wonder, just wow about everything. Well, the book of Ephesians is supposed to make you go, wow. In fact, when we get into chapter one, uh, we're just in verse one today, but when we actually get into the full chapter one, uh, verses three through 15 have punctuation and commas and English But the way the Apostle Paul wrote it was actually as just one big, long, rambling sentence. It's like he's so excited he can't be bothered with exclamation points. He's just like a kid who come home from school and they're really excited. And they're telling you everything so fast you don't even know what's going on because they're not even finishing their sentences. And you're like, whoa, slow down, buddy. What happened? That's the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. It is absolutely glorious. And I pray that you feel that way about it as well. Now, there are several different themes that run through the book of Ephesians. So from time to time, I want to step back and say, uh, here's the Rocky Mountains as a whole. Here are these big themes. And believe it or not, all of those themes that we'll see in the rest of the book of Ephesians are found in verse 1. All of the themes are found in the very first verse. And so we're going to look at that today. Uh, I doubt we get through even the full first verse. Uh, We might just get through the first theme. And uh, I'm excited. I'm I'm not in a rush to get through this because I believe in the power of God's word. Don't you? I hope you do. Uh, In New York, the reason why I was there is because I was there at a a pastor who's 81 years old, uh, wanted to invest in some younger pastors, which is really cool. His name is Jim Cimbala. And uh, their church is absolutely amazing. Uh, He's nothing special. And uh, he would tell you that himself. You know, if, if you didn't know who he was, you'd show up to the church and you would not think he was the pastor. Uh, And yet we were there on a Tuesday and on Tuesday at lunch in New York City, 200 people didn't eat lunch. Instead, they showed up for a prayer meeting. And this is not anything special. They didn't have a a band or a choir. No, they just came and they prayed together in New York City. And then that night we had 2000 people show up on that night. And you know why? It's not because Jim Cimbala is special. It's not because they have cool lights or an awesome band, although they did. They did have a really good band. But that's not why. You know why? Because of the power of God's word. And when a pastor faithfully preaches God's word over years and years and years, something amazing happens in the congregation. And I pray that ascent, no matter what else we do or who else fills this pulpit, we are always known for the people who love the Bible. 
who preach the Bible, no matter what it costs us, no matter what happens, because we believe that power is found in God's word. It's not found in my opinions. It's not found in pop psychology. It's found in God's word. And whether there's 15 people here or 1,500 people here, it does not matter. Our power is found in God's word. Amen? Amen. All right, so let me read the text for you one more time. This is just one verse, then we'll pray and we'll jump in. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit who gives us eyes to see the truths contained in its pages. We thank you for that divine dialogue that you conduct whereby your spirit in and through and beyond human understanding speaks into the very core of our lives, calling us out of our deadness to life, out of our enslavement to freedom, out of our condemnation to joy of your presence. Accomplish your purposes, gracious God. Speak through me to your people. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we find the very first theme in just the very first six words. Paul, by the way, Paul, who do you think wrote the book of Ephesians? It's Paul. It's not a trick question. Paul. Now, the reason why I have to ask it that way is because there are people who say Paul didn't write the book of Ephesians. And I say, are you kidding me? It says Paul right there. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but Paul. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, the first thing that we see here is this. The mystery of Christ is that Jews and Gentiles alike can be brought near to God as members of one body through the work of Jesus. You say, Blake, I don't don't know what you're smoking, but I don't get that from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Oh, my friends, it is there. And it is one of the themes that is the least exciting. None of you went, whoa, are you kidding me, Blake? None of you guys are like, who gives a a flying pickle uh, about the Jews and the Gentiles? You know, I'm like, I'm just trying to make it through my life right now. But this is actually the theme that Paul is most excited about throughout this book. And it's the theme that you and I should probably be the most excited about. That through Christ Jesus, Jews and Gentiles come to God alike as equal members. Now, how do we get that from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus? Two ways, actually. We get it from his name and his title. He gives us his name and he gives us what he does. So we'll start with his name. And I have to start here with a confession. Us preacher types love a good illustration. I mean, we love a good illustration. And a lot of times what we will do is ignore the truth so that we can keep our illustration. Uh, oftentimes when I hear a story that's too good to be true, I put it in my, my little note. I have a notebook full of sermon illustrations and I do not check the facts on it. You know why? Because oftentimes when I check the facts on a good illustration, it ruins the illustration. So I'd rather just be ignorantly blissful and have a good illustration. Well, one such illustration that you will hear pastors use all the time, and it would be so beautiful and wonderful if only it were true, is that God took Saul, this killing, murderous man, and he turned him into Paul. He once was Saul, but now he is Paul. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's dead in your life, friends. But there is a Saul in each of you, and God can raise up a Paul through you. See, that preaches good, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Woo! I'm going to get a preaching rag. But, uh, but it's just not... It's just not true. This is not what happened. Uh, now, there is name changes throughout the Bible. Abram goes to Abraham. Simon goes to Peter, the rock. But that's, that's just not what happens to the apostle Paul. In fact, 
Paul is actually just Saul's Greek name. I know, it's really boring. I can't really preach much on that. But, but Saul is his Hebrew name. That's the name his mama gave him. And Paul is what he goes by when he's with the bacon-eating Gentiles. Let me prove it to you because I'm, I'm, I'm running some of your lives right now because you've heard a sermon and you like the sermon where the pastor said that. Acts 13.9, But Saul also, not formally, but also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, so this is after conversion, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elamus. Acts 9.17, Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 9.28, Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And then Acts 11.29 is the last one I'll use, but there's plenty of others. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. So you say, well, then Blake, why does he go by Paul so much in the New Testament? You're going to take this away from me? Why does he go by Paul? Well, the reason why he goes by Paul is because he's often speaking to Gentiles like you and I. It's actually really good news. When he says Paul, whenever you read the Bible and you see Paul, you know he's talking to us. He's not talking to the Jews. He's talking to you and I, friends. Because this is his name that he used when he was with Greek speakers. It's kind of like when I was in high school, one of my friends was from China, and his name was Brad Louie. Only his name was not Brad Louie at all. One time he tried to tell me what his name was, and I will not repeat it here because it would be racially insensitive, and I do not want to be offensive to anybody. Uh, but the reason why he went by Brad was because his life would have been a lot more complicated if he went by Huang Gang Gang. Okay, see, I shouldn't have done it. I should <laughs> I couldn't. I knew it was going to come out and I shouldn't have done it. But that was something about what his name sounded like. And so he was like, you know what? I'm just going to go by Brad. Well, this is what Saul does. Saul knows if he shows up with a Jewish name, the Gentiles are immediately going to shut him out. And they're not going to listen to that which he has to say. So he says, I'll go by Paul. This is kind of what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 21. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, that be you and I, the Gentiles, like one without the law. Though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. In other words, Paul saying, call me whatever you want, just don't call me Sue. No, that's Johnny Cash. Uh, <laughs> But Paul is saying, you Gentiles can call me whatever you want, as long as you listen to this good news that I have for you. Because that is the mission that God gave to Paul. Ephesians 3, 1 and 2, Paul tells us this himself. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, that's you and I, Paul's working for us. Verse 2, assuming you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you. And then in verse 8 and 9 he goes on, this grace, or this mission, this calling was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery, hidden for ages in God who created all things. So we see from the very beginning who Paul is writing to. He's writing to the Gentiles. Why? Because it's a major theme that us Gentiles now get to be grafted into the promises of God, of the Jewish God. Now, if I didn't convince you on his name, we also have his title. So look at verse 1 again with me. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. 
So he's an apostle. That's a, a sent out one or a representative of, a, 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 an ambassador, if you will, of Jesus Christ. And who's he doing it to? He's doing it to the Gentiles. Now, since I'm in the business of running names for you, uh, I'll just go ahead and, and run one more. This is probably going to be the one that hurts the most if you haven't heard it before. But uh, Jesus, our beloved Savior, his name that his mama gave him was not Jesus. That's what us Europeans changed his name to. Uh, the name of Jesus in the Hebrew, some of you are about to throw a tomato at me. Uh, the name of Jesus in the Hebrew is actually Yeshua. His name is Yeshua. It's not Jesus. It's Yeshua. Now, why is that interesting? Well, because there's another character in the Bible with the exact same name, also named Yeshua. But us Europeans, we thought we'll change that also uh, and confuse everybody for the next 2000 years. And so what we did is we took the other Yeshua and we named him Joshua. And now this is beautiful irony that Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles in the name of Yeshua. Because the first Yeshua came not to include the Gentiles, but quite literally to destroy the Gentiles that got in his way. If you read the book of Joshua, there are some verses in there and you're like, oh, kill all of the children? <laughs> that seems a little rough, God. But that's, that's what's going on in the book of Joshua. He says, I want all of the Gentiles out of here. Remove all of them. This is what Joshua does. Let me give you an example of it. Joshua 10, 41 through 42. Joshua conquered everyone from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza. That's all the Gentiles. I just would say that. All, he conquered all the Gentiles and all the land of Goshen as far as Gibeon. Joshua captured all these kings and their land in one campaign. It didn't take him long. One campaign, he conquered them all. Because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Which is a whole sermon there, but we will keep moving on. And a lot of people, when Jesus showed up, when the second Yeshua showed up, thought he would do what the first Yeshua did. The Romans were terrible to the Jews. And the Jews were desperate for a Savior to come and to lead them to victory. Give us back our lands. We want a king on the throne that is one of us. And when Yeshua shows up and he begins to do these miracles, he begins to show all of this power. They're thinking, this is our guy. This is our Joshua. And this is why when he rides into town on a donkey, they are pumped up because it's about to go down. Yeah, we love all the, all the lovey-dovey stuff, Jesus, you're doing. But now let's kick some Roman booty. You know what I mean? Come on, Jesus. Let's take over the throne. In fact, we see that even in his disciples. That's what they thought. Mark 10, 35 through 37 says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you, which is a, a humble prayer request. <laughs> this is like what your children say to you, isn't it? Just do whatever we ask of you, please. Uh, verse 36, Jesus is a lot kinder than I am because he says, Well, friends, what do you want me to do for you? He asked them. Verse 37, they answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. They're like, Jesus, we know it's about to go down. Uh, Peter, you know, I know you've been hanging out with Peter a lot, but I just want to call dibs right now. Peter can have one of those seats down there, but I, I want the one to the right. And you know, maybe my brother gets the one to the right, but at least the one to the left when we go in there. Because they thought that Jesus was like Joshua. He was about to come in and he was about to destroy the Gentiles. But we find out in the name of Jesus that that's not what he wanted to do. He didn't come to destroy or drive out the Gentiles. To the horror of all of the Jews, he came to include the Gentiles. This would be like, I'm trying to think of the most dividing thing in our culture. And of course, it's politics. This would be like somebody who said, I came to unite the Democrats and the Republicans. Some of you would say, Lord, please, may it not be so. Because the other side is a bunch of idiots. And I, I could never be connected with those people. I could never vote for the same person that those people vote for. 
And I'd be right there with you sometimes. I'm like, I don't know if that would ever work. Well, take that times 10 and you have the conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Jesus shows up and he comes as the Christ. That's not his name. He's not Jesus H. Christ. No, Christ is his title. Like President Biden or President Trump. President is not their name, it's their title. Christ is the title of Jesus. And as the Messiah, he came not to drive out Gentiles, but to unite them into the promises of God. Now, this is absolutely shocking to everyone there, but that is indeed the mission of the Messiah. In fact, there is one time in the Gospels in which he drives out people, and that is at the temple. And you know who he's driving out? It's not the Gentiles, it's the Jews. And what does he say? He says, my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations, for all the nations. This is why racism, friends, has absolutely no place in our churches. It's why segregation in the 1950s was a horrible thing. And honestly, we're still feeling the effects of it to this very day. It's why if you look around at our church, we are pretty white. Uh, now, that's not all our fault because our place where we live is very white. Like, I'm, so, I'm surprised they sell wheat bread at Aldi's and Shattuck. You know, we, are, we are white. But friends, we should not be white because we want to just be with the people we want to be with. No, that's, that's an affront to the cross. Racism has no place. Jesus came to unite all nations. And in heaven, if you don't like the nations here, if you're annoyed by certain races, you're going to hate heaven. And God might just you know, help you out and let you not have to be there with all the other races if that's what you think you want. Because the cross came to unite people. And we have people right now in our country who want to divide us. They want to go backwards in time. And friends, as a church, we cannot allow that to happen. This is what Paul says his mission is. Ephesians 3, 3 through 7. The mystery was made known to me by revelation. And the mystery in Paul's day is not like a, like a, we don't know what it is. It's something that was once hidden, but has now been revealed. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. For by, which I love it, I've briefly written above. We're in chapter three, Paul. <laughs> he's, a, he's definitely a preacher. Verse four, by reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So at this point, he's got us on the edge of our seat. This is the mystery. This is the thing. This is the thing that Moses didn't know about, but Moses wanted to know about. Well, what is it, Paul? What is the mystery? Verse 6, the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. And friends, if we understood this, we would shout with joy right now. Because when you think about our faith, it really is, it really is a very peculiar thing that we care about a book written to an ethnic group that is not ours. I love the Old Testament, and it is written to the Jews. Now, I am completely Scottish. Donna Dreyer got me uh, ancestry, got me hooked on ancestry DNA. And so I, I spit in a little tube and we sent it off. And uh, they told me that I'm white, which was a real shocker. Uh, <laughs> I've just got like all the whites in me. Scottish primarily is, is my, uh, my number one, which is not really a surprise at all. My name, since we're talking about names a lot, I, I looked up my name one time to see what it meant because all my friends were looking up their names and it was all awesome, like courageous and warrior. If you look up the name Blake, it literally means white or pale. So I'm about as white as you get, right? Like, I I am white, and I love bacon. God bless bacon. And yet I love this book written to the Jews. Well, isn't that peculiar? Isn't it peculiar that you and I here in uh, Fargo, Oklahoma, I forgot where we were for a second, Fargo, Oklahoma, (laughs) we worship the Jewish Messiah? Isn't that strange? Of course it is. And you know why? 
because we're co-heirs of the gospel. This is what God's plan was from all time. This is the thing that David could not have believed. If David would see us in this room right now, he would be so perplexed. He would have no idea what happened because it was so outside the realm of what seemed possible to the Jews. And yet this is exactly what Jesus Christ does. I want to read uh, Ephesians chapter 3 from Kenneth Taylor. Uh, He he paraphrases it, and I think it puts it into perspective, the the joy that we have uh, through this theme. It says this, And this is the secret, that the Gentiles will have their full share with the Jews in all the riches inherited by God's sons. Both are invited to belong to his church, and all of God's promises of mighty blessing through Christ apply to them both when they accept the good news about Christ and what he has done for them. God has given me, he's talking about Paul, given me the wonderful privilege of telling everyone about his plan. And he has given me his power and special ability to do it well. Just think, though I did nothing to deserve it, and though I am the most useless Christian there is, which, by the way, we got to say, Paul, that's not true, buddy. <laughs> you wrote the Bible. You're not the most useless Christian. I can't even read my Bible some days. You wrote the Bible. But Paul says, no, I'm, I'm the most useless Christian there is. Yet I was the one chosen for the special joy of telling the Gentiles the glad news of the endless treasures available to them in Christ and to explain to everyone that God is the Savior of the Gentiles too, just as he who made all things had secretly planned from the very beginning. And it's at this point, if you truly understood or if you weren't holding back what was in your heart right now, you'd be like Blakely going, wow, 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 wow. All the riches, all the promises that were given to the Jews now belong to me. Blake Farley, not because of anything I've done, but because of all the things that God has done for me through Jesus Christ. Paul says this explicitly, Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. says, So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Friends, we take our Bible for granted, don't we? When I read the Psalms, we all immediately apply those promises to ourselves. But they weren't originally for us. And in fact, if you want to know what the Bible says about Gentiles in the Old Testament, it's not very pleasant. And yet because of Christ, all of those promises are yes and amen for me as well. Uh, I had a, a young man in New York come up to me, uh, and he asked if I was a Jew. He just, I didn't know the kid. He just came up. He said, excuse me, sir, are you a Jew? And uh, you would think that's odd. Like if you came up to me and said, uh, Blake, are you a Jew? I would say, are you on drugs? Uh, but in New York, everybody's on drugs. So <laughs> it's like it wasn't even weird at that point. Like, I, I, I was flying home, and I thought about it. I was like, that was weird what that guy did. But it was like the 12th weirdest thing that I had seen while I was in New York. It's, it's crazy. I, I can't even tell you some of the stories that that we had there. Uh, they need prayer in that city a lot. But uh, he asked me if I was a Jew, and I said, uh, no. And before I could ask him why he was asking me, he walked off. But what I wish I would have said is, yes, I am a Jew. <laughs> I'm a true Jew. I, you are a fake Jew. Now, he probably would have got offended, but I mean, come on. Uh, I'm never going to see the kid again. You are a fake Jew because you think you're a Jew because of your blood. But that is not the way somebody is a true Jew. A true Jew is only by the blood of Christ. It is through faith in Jesus that I'm a son of Abraham. I'm a son of Abraham. You say, Blake, you're Scottish. No, I'm a son of Abraham. Why? 
through faith in Jesus Christ, because I am in Christ Jesus. If the band wants to go ahead and come forward, I'm, I'm closing up. But it, it's, it's almost like uh, if, we were, if we were orphans. And, uh, you know, it's like the 1800s and we don't have shoes and we're hungry. and We're walking through this village and we come to this massive house, big mansion. And we look into the window and we see this father who loves his children. And we wish we had a father who loved us. We, we see the table and the table is set with a feast that we could only imagine. And as we look through the window, we're just hoping that the father might see us and throw us a piece of bread. But instead, to our surprise, he opens the door and he says, young man, I want you to come in this house. And we say, you want us to come? You want me to come in the house? He said, come in the house. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm I'm not trying to look through your windows, but no, 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 come in the house. And so we come in the house and he says, sit down and eat this meal. And we get to feast at his table. But that's not all. He says, I want to adopt you. And we become his son. And we're not a second class son. No, we are a full son in the will, co-heirs of all that is the father's. And in the matter of moments, from the time we were looking in the window to the time he invited us in the house, our life has changed in ways we cannot imagine. Friends, that house is Christ Jesus. By walking into Christ, we walk into the promises of a loving father. We walk into a feast and we walk into a future that we get to be co-heirs of. And what do we do to inherit it? The only thing that the orphan would have to do is believe him enough to walk in the house. And that's the same thing you and I have to do. We believe and in faith all the promises are yes and amen for us in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you so much for this text. This book is so rich. Written to Ephesus 2,000 years ago, and yet it is just as relevant to us today. God, would you, would you move in our hearts so that we might be filled with wonder? God, I don't want to become stale in my Christianity. I don't want to just go through the motions. God, I want to be amazed by what you've done for me. God, and I pray that the people in this room would be amazed by what you've done for them. And for somebody here today, it's never been personal. God, I pray that through the course of this series, it would become personal. They would realize that this isn't just something you've done in the abstract, but it's something you've done personally for them. God, only you can do that. Friends, if you would, with your eyes closed, head bowed, take about 10 seconds. Just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us. For your son's sake, God, do these things. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Well, uh, if my ushers would go ahead and come forward, we'll take our offering as we always respond in three ways. Respond uh, by reflecting upon the message, which you will have the opportunity to do. Uh, if I have ushers, that can go ahead and come forward. Uh, you have the opportunity to do while the offering plates are being passed out. Uh, praise God for the things that he has done for you. Maybe take some moments to say, wow, to yourself. God, I can't believe you've done that for me. And then when the plates have all passed, Tiffany will have you guys stand up and we will respond through worship and singing. Let me pray over the offering briefly. Father, thank you so much for all that you've given us. We now return it freely back to you. Amen.